answer any questions you may have. We've been going through this study in Acts, and uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I love it. I love the Word of God. I, I love seeing kind of our heritage as the people of God, and uh, I know that it can be um, sometimes we're going verse by verse. Um, maybe you get lost in that. Maybe it gets kind of, maybe you get kind of uh, bored with it in the flesh. I want to encourage you to try to stay engaged in it and uh, just grab everything that God gives us along the way because, again, it's, it's, it's the Word of God. It's alive, and it has something for us. Uh, no matter how many times we read it, no matter how many times we preach it, it's, it's so vital. So uh, last week we did see something very important uh, in all relationships, but especially in relationships in the church. And uh, I'm going to read this again so we can just kind of get the context, and then we'll jump into this morning's uh, point. It's actually point two from last week's notes, but it's just point number one in your notes this morning. That's all we have. I'm um, trying to, to learn a little bit better uh, on how to uh, take these scriptures because I think I can get through them faster, and I can't. So um, we're just doing one point today. Verse 27, Acts chapter 20, uh, 21, verse 27, says, When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him. Now, just kind of context, if you haven't been here, this him, seeing him, is the Apostle Paul. And uh, again, just to kind of catch you up, if you've missed some, if you haven't been here, it's your first time, uh, maybe you forgot from last week. Uh, Paul has been on this journey from Asia back to Jerusalem. And there have been people in his life, friends, other co-laborers, people on his team. Everybody's been begging Paul, don't go back to Jerusalem. Please don't go back to Jerusalem. They even said at one point in time, look, the Spirit has told us to tell you, don't go back to Jerusalem. And Paul has been determined all along the way to go back to Jerusalem. It's not because Paul's looking for problems. It's not because Paul's trying to find trouble. Uh, he felt like this is exactly what the Holy Spirit was leading him to do. The problems they knew were lying ahead of him that Paul knew was ahead of him as well was for the cause of Christ. It wasn't putting himself in a dangerous situation just to do that. Um, he knew he had to go there, and he knew going there for the cause of Christ would definitely bring trouble upon himself specifically. And uh, he told those elders in, in, uh, from Ephesus that, that he didn't count his life dear to himself, that none of the worries, none of the fear of his life swayed him from moving forward in obedience. Again, we've learned so much along the way. But what happens is he's there in Jerusalem, He's fulfilling this vow that he's, he's, he's been asked to fulfill because he's been in these Gentile nations, he's been with these people, and now the, the elders there in Jerusalem, at the church of Jerusalem, along with James the pastor, said, hey, you need to fulfill this vow so that you basically keep the peace, so you don't offend these believers who still hold to the law. Paul's like, fine, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem doing that. So he's fulfilling these, the, this, this vow, and it says when the seven days of this fulfillment was almost over, there were some Jews that saw him in Asia that knew who he was, and they saw him in the temple. So they began to stir up the crowd and laid hands on him, and they cried out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place, the temple. And besides... He's even brought Greeks into the temple, and he has defiled this holy place. A big accusation, right, especially for these people where this, like our world right now as Americans, most of us know it like this. We, we, we have freedom, we seek comfort, we have money, we, we go to jobs, we, we pay bills, we, we, we do our hobbies. We, that, that's life, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a basic summary. 
These people, their culture, revolved around the temple. It revolved around the worship of God in the temple. They were, they were dead set. You know how like when, when our comfort gets rocked a little bit, when gas prices go up and when we get shut down and when everything gets weird in our, in our world and comfort gets threatened, you know how we, we, we feel and when we, we felt? These people felt that way with the temple. That, that the Apostle Paul was bringing in Gentiles into this temple and it, it, it just rocked their whole world. This was unacceptable. This is not what was allowed and what could be what could go on so this was the accusation that they were stirring around paul the problem with that this accusation was is what it says next they had previously seen trophimus the ephesian who was a gentile in the city not in the temple they saw this this gentile in the city with paul and look what the next words say and they supposed that paul had brought him into the temple they didn't know that Paul brought him into the temple. They didn't see Paul with this Gentile in or outside, uh, beyond the Gentile court where only the Jews were allowed. They didn't see that. They didn't know that. They just assumed that. So when they stirred up the crowd based on this supposition, look what happens. All the city was stirred up. All the city was provoked. Then the people rushed together and they took hold of Paul and they drug him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. And while they listened to these words, were seeking to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Again, think about our world and, and how our world gets turned upside down and gets, gets kind of stirred and, and, and things and, and, and our way of life gets threatened. I mean, there's, there's some people that go to the extreme and want to kill other people. But this was about him bringing somebody, supposedly bringing somebody into the temple who wasn't supposed to be in this area. And look what happens. They say, we're going to, we're taking this guy outside of the temple. We're going to kill him. Well, first of all, that's pleasing to God, right? We're going to kill this guy. But a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was confusion. This happened once before. You know the story. Jesus began to stir up this crowd, and, and, and the, the Roman officials wanted to keep the, the peace so that they didn't lose their power and lose their authority as Roman officials. So what he did is when he heard this, there was confusion going on. He at once he took along some soldiers and centurions, ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. If you were here last week, I said, that's kind of like when the cops show up on the scene, right? Everybody scatters. That's what happened. They were, they were beating Paul. They were trying to kill him in this beating. And these, these officials show up and everybody stopped what they were doing. And this is what we saw. The, 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 the point last week was this, misdirected passion is divisive in the church and destructive to leaders. Misdirected passion. These, these people were stirred up in their passion. They were passionate that Paul was wrong, that the temple was being defiled, that they were right, that they were, again, all of this based off of an assumption. All of this based off of a supposition. And so their passion was misdirected. And what it, what it ended up causing was problems for the, the, the leader, the Apostle Paul, and also in the church, because now the, the heartache and everything else that the, 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 the team had been experiencing and the believers there were going through was all because of this misdirected passion. These people were stirring up the crowd, and it was hurting people, other people. And I shared this last week, that it's a shame when this happens inside the church. These were people outside of the church, stirring up the crowd, and it, was, and it, affected negatively, it negatively affected the church. But it's a shame when that happens inside the church. 
And the reason why this is such a major point is this. Many people I shared last week have married their, their politics to their faith. Whether you, you know, liberal or conservative or independent, whatever, that people have married that uh, in, in politics to their faith versus their faith driving everything. Their faith driving what they stand for and what they believe in. Many people have married personal preferences and personal positions to their faith in, in so much that they, they, this, is where I, this is where I stand on this issue and that affects their faith versus their faith affecting every aspect of their life. And that's been brought into the church. In these last two years, I shared that there's this polarization and I believe so much misdirected passion because people get stirred up and all of this misdirected passion and all of this polarization has caused division and destruction in the church. And I shared a few of the things I believe that people have been stirred up about. They've been stirred up about race and racial issues, social justice issues, politics, COVID. It's appalling that these things are, are, are being brought into the church to divide the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And think about this. As I shared last week, if we get worn with the division that happens because of these issues, can you imagine how Jesus feels? When the church he purchased with his own blood is being separated by temporal issues that have no eternal bearing. Can you imagine the heartache he feels when his people are spatting about things that have nothing to do with the eternal souls of their neighbors? It's just personal preferences and positions. It does have eternal bearing, though. Because it affects the unity of the church, which is something Jesus prayed that we would have that would mimic his and the Father's. If you're a child of God, part of our responsibility is to give every effort to preserve the unity of the body. Christ is the one who unifies us. No matter what color you are, no matter what um, preferences you have, what kind of music you listen to, I mean... Christ unifies us, not politics, not personal positions or preferences. And we talked about last week, if you were here, about how the body, in a few instances in Scripture, is, is described as our physical bodies. And while parts of our bodies can prefer certain things, and I use the illustration of my wife Rochelle, she can, she can scratch my back lightly, right? She can... And it feels good. I, I, I like that. She, I think she did that yesterday. I'm like a bear, you know. Like, mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> but she cannot do that to the bottom of my feet. I was rubbing her feet the other day. And um, I, just, I just touched her toes. And, and she, like, had that reflex, you know. Like, it, it tickled. And so I had to embellish the moment because I'm stronger than her. And, and, she, and she, was, she was going crazy there, but um, I restrained from making a miserable uh, moment there. But uh, she, can, she can scratch my back. She cannot scratch the bottom of my feet. And I share that illustration because um, just because there are different preferences in one single body doesn't mean that the body parts dislike, disassociate, and especially don't seek to hurt the other body part. I shared 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm not going to read all of that, but 
you can read that for yourself, verses 18 through 21. And it says that God has made the body with several members, and each member is distinct in itself. But every member is supposed to support other members so that the body functions exactly how God designs it. It's similar to what it says in Romans chapter 12, and I'll read these two verses. It says, verse 4, For just as we have many members, like, like a body does, many body parts, that's what it's saying, in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. So we, as a spiritual body, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. We are connected to one another in Christ, and making up the, the, the body of Christ. These religious zealots, Again, were misdirected in their passion, and it affected others in their misdirection. And I think it's important for us to be careful on how our emotions affect our attitude and our actions and our speech toward others. I've been meeting with some people uh, recently, and, and I reminded them that everything that the Bible says to Christians, how we should treat each other, should begin in the home. Right? Like if it says that, that we should love one another, that should begin in the home. If we should speak with grace, that should begin in our homes. If, if we should be patient and gracious and merciful and forgive as we've been forgiven. If, if, if all of that is what we are commanded as Christians to do, that should begin in the home first. And then it should be seen in the, the house of God. That's what, that's what we read. Let us do good to all men and especially them in the household of faith should begin in the church. And so this morning we move forward in, in our study, understanding how misdirected passion can affect the, the unity of the body. But we read on in verse 33 as we pick this up, then the commander came up and he took hold of him, took hold of Paul, and he ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking him, asking who he was and what he had done, right? He needed to ascertain what was going on, what what did you do so terrible that these, these Jews, these religious people, wanted to drag you outside the temple, and they're beating you, they're intending to kill you? What'd you do, man? What happened? Verse 34, though, but among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. Isn't that interesting? And that's, man, we've said this word, nothing ever changes, right? I mean, no, nothing new is under the sun. Like, that's exactly what happens still today. One person begins shouting another, another person begins shouting another, and it's hard sometimes to, to know what the truth is because so many people are so loud with social media, so many different opinions today. Remember, this was all based on a supposition. This is all based on misdirected passion that this was all happening. Look what happens in this next statement. And when he could not find out the facts because of what? the uproar. Remember what I said? Nothing new is under the sun, right? We, we, that, that's, that's the problem. He, he couldn't find out what the truth was. He couldn't find out what the facts were. He couldn't see what was actually going on because there was so much noise. There was so much passion. There was so, many, so much screaming. There was so much distraction from what the truth was. Amen? Anybody read that today? I mean, that's exactly what we deal with today. Not just in our culture, but even in the church. So what did he do? He ordered him to be brought into the barracks. Paul has done nothing. All of this has been based off of an assumption, a supposition. 
So put him in jail. But when he got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because the violence of the mob. Again, think about, they wanted to kill this guy because they thought he had brought a Gentile into the temple. They didn't know he brought that, brought, brought a Gentile into him. They just thought he did. And now they were so worked up based off of other people's words, based off of what other people were telling them, based off of what these people who didn't want the gospel to go out were saying that, number one, the commander couldn't find out what the truth was, and then the people were so in a frenzy. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen some, some stuff in the last few years that people are doing stuff they don't even know why they're doing, and they're just worked up because of the crowd. That's what happens even in the church. He had to be carried by the soldiers because the violence of the mob, because the multitude of people following them, shouting away with him. As Paul is about to be brought to the barracks, he said to the commander, may I say something to you? It's interesting, right? You want to actually find out from the source. <laughs> and the commander responds, you know Greek? He had no idea who this, this Paul was. He had no idea. Matter of fact, he was assuming, based off of this great uh, uproar and based on the violence and based on all the emotion and based on reports that he had heard earlier, that he was somebody that he was not at all. Right? And so Paul responds to this leader in, in, in Greek, and he's like, whoa, I didn't know you spoke Greek. And in verse 38, so then you're not the Egyptian who some time ago, who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men uh, um, of the uh, Assyrians out into the wilderness. Again, this, this commander thought Paul was this Egyptian guy who, who stirred up a, result, uh, a, a revolt there in Jerusalem, and he was way off. He couldn't get who this guy was, what he had done, what was wrong with him. He, he didn't know anything. And Paul simply just asked a question. Hey, can I say something? He said, whoa. You speak Greek? Verse 39, but Paul said, I'm a Jew of Tarsus in, uh, in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. Before we go on, I, I want to get this point in our notes this morning, and it's this, misperceptions, misunderstandings, and miscommunications are detrimental to people's lives and the life of the church. Misperceptions, misunderstandings, miscommunications are detrimental to people's lives and the life of the church. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Put yourself there. And maybe you've already, you've been there in a similar situation where maybe at your job, people assume certain things because you go to church, maybe in your family, maybe in the church. There, there, there's, there's, there's things that are assumed and said and thought based off of misperceptions. Maybe there's a miscommunication, but it's detrimental to people's lives. Can you imagine how this misperception was detrimental to the Apostle Paul right here? Like he can see, he knew he was going to Jerusalem and he probably could be in danger for the gospel. People knew who he was, but he, I can imagine him going through all of this thinking, wow, I didn't think it was going to happen like this. 
wow, I, I, I didn't think that this is how it was going to go down. I just thought maybe people would recognize me, and they, they, they would just want me to stop preaching Jesus like I experienced in every other city. And, yeah, stoning. But, I mean, everybody's confused. Everybody's worked up over stuff that didn't even happen. This guy, this, this ruler, this commander, didn't even know who Paul was. Emotions and a lot of noise clouded his understanding. Think about that again. Emotions and a lot of noise clouded his understanding of who Paul was and what he was doing. So there's two things here. These religious zealots were misdirected in their passion, and it affected others in their misdirection. So they were misdirected in their passion and affected others in their misdirection. Again, I think it's so important for us as the people of God to be careful on how our emotions affect our attitude and our actions and our speech towards others. It's so important for us to make sure we've talked about emotions along the way in this study because we've seen it over and over again. But the second thing we see is these religious zealots who are already misdirected in their passions not only affected other people in their misdirection, but it was causing them to assume false things and others assume false things. Now get it again. This ruler, not knowing who Paul was, not knowing that he was a Jew, he was about to lock this guy up based on other people's emotions, based on his own misperception and his own misunderstanding. This ruler, this guy who was in charge, was about to lock Paul up and probably sentencing him to death based on other people's misdirection, misunderstanding, misperception, miscommunication. And it's easy to say, wow, that's bad, but I want to I challenge you this morning because I think we could all be guilty of this in some level, in some way, right? It can happen in the home, right? You, you, know, you know that's the case. Like something is... You get emotional about something and you don't communicate it or you miscommunicate about it or you, mis, you, you misunderstand something or you misperceive something from your spouse. And it can cause some problems. We get worked up in emotions. And again, we, we, we can do this, but man, when it starts affecting the church, you know what that affects? It affects the gospel mission. The only reason we're here for. I was sitting over there and Brother Robert was singing that song, I'm Redeemed and... I just started, I almost, I almost got overwhelmed with emotion because um, I, 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 I'm going to be careful here because I was just thinking about all that's been happening here recently in our, in our church. We've seen uh, some of the kids that um, have, a lot of them grown up in this church the last two or three years and you know, graduate high school and I was looking at my oldest daughter and, and I just thought started to think there's a few others in here and I'm like, it, it's coming close. And it just, it, your mind just flashes back to when they're kid, like babies, you know. And I was thinking, time flies so fast. And then we get this moment in, in time to live for the king. That's what it's about. And man, he, he, he lavishes us, the Bible says, daily with his benefits. He loads us daily with his benefits. We have so many blessings in this earth. 
And as Americans, we have so many blessings, right? I mean, just as I was saying a while ago, I mean, I, I got a picture from, our, from, from one of our missionaries um, just this morning and saying, I'm praying for you. We, we, we communicate every Sunday morning, and, and uh, he sent me a picture of one of their services. And, you know, it's, it's in Africa, and it's outdoors, and it's, it's hot, and, and they don't have AC, you know. And, and, and here we are in, in, in Texas with 100-and-something degree weather today, but we're inside, and there's AC going. Like, in America, we're so blessed, and we're so, I mean, I, God has been so good to us. But with all of that, man, I think that we are going to be so, held so accountable with what God's given us. And we get, we get this moment in time, as time is fleeting, and, and we get this moment of time to live for him, to live for the king, to redeem every opportunity for the kingdom of God. We look at situations like this and think, man, you know, we get worked, over, worked up about some things that really we should not get worked up about. We should be more upset when we find out that someone said no to Jesus. Or maybe somebody died and we're not sure if they knew Jesus or not. Like those just should be the things that really just work us up and, and get, us, get us heartbroken and we get really emotional about. We shouldn't get worked up in emotions and, like as we said a while ago, on politics and personal preferences and personal positions and things that, honestly, a lot of it has to do with how spoiled we are as Americans. And we should be so amped up and so passionate about the, the, the gospel mission that God has put us on. He's about to lock up Paul based on a mis misunderstanding, misperception. So Paul, praise God, takes the opportunity to set the record straight. Now, how many times have you and I been guilty of making judgments without all the facts? Think about that. How, how, how often have you made a, a judgment about someone, a circumstance, a decision, without all the facts yourselves, and you just come to your own conclusion? I think we all can be guilty of that. And maybe we get part of the story. We get part of what we think is right. And oftentimes we turn to other people. Just like this guy did. Right? He wanted to know, hey, what did this guy do? He turns to them. You hear the accusations. You should say, hey, what, what, what'd you do, man? He didn't do that. Paul spoke up. Say, hey, can I say something? Again, we misperceive and we assume and often without ever having a conversation with someone. Right? Think about this. Have you ever done that? And then think about this. Have you ever done that in the church? You, you, you misperceive and you assume something about someone else without ever having a conversation with that person. You come to a conclusion. Maybe you lock them up in the prison of your relationships. You, you, you're going to lock them away. You're going you're to separate from them. You're going to have this division in the body of Christ based on of a misperception and assumption. Again, we lock them up in our hearts and our minds. And we may not be throwing physical stones. We may not be looking to kill our brother and sister in Christ, but we can sure shut people out. And we can throw verbal stones. Maybe not to their face, but maybe at their back. And when we do that, we hinder the fruit of the church. We hinder what God has called us to be and do. Galatians chapter 5, you're called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but use your freedom 
through love to serve one another. Because the whole law, the law of God, is fulfilled in one word. In, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you, if you bite and you devour one, he's talking to Christians, if you bite and devour one another, you need to take care, be careful, take heed that you're not consumed by what you're going to eat, you're going to destroy one another. He says, but I say, walk in the Spirit. So how do you battle that? How do you battle, you know, throwing stones at each other and shutting each other out and causing division in the church, going off of misperceptions, going off assumptions, not having the unity that Jesus died and prayed for us to have to be an effective body to his glory? How do you fight against that? He says, walk in the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of your flesh. Because the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. Because these two are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Here's what it looks like. Say, well, how do I know if I'm in the flesh? How do I know I'm in the Spirit? Here's what it looks like to be in the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. Those are sexual sins. Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, hostilities, strife. Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. You know what factions are, right? The, the Corinthian church was, Paul wrote to them and, and told them, um, you know, I hear this is going on and it is not good. He, he, he rebuked them for it. There were groups of people that were huddling together. And they were together on the issues that they agreed on. And he said it like this. Some of you say, I'm of Paul. And others, I'm of Apollos. Some of you are talk talking about how you're of Cephas. And I speak, he said, I speak this to your shame. There should be no division in the body. There should be no factions. And so he says, look, if, if, if you want to know what it looks like to walk in the Spirit, this is what the deeds of the flesh end up looking like. You've got things that are more important than God in your life, more important than the things that you bow down to things in this world before you do to the things of God. That's a fleshly thing. Sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, little cliques, little groups that aren't pointing people to a greater unity but are pulling people away from unity. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, partying, and things like these. It's not an exhaustive list. Of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If this is what your life looks like, you really got to check your salvation. Because the Spirit looks different. The fruit of the Spirit, what it looks like in a person's life who's walking in the Spirit, who the Spirit indwells and the Spirit controls, and in a person who's yielded to the Spirit, it looks like this. It looks like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. It says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh 
along with its passions and its desires, those who belong to Jesus are no longer practicing living daily in those fleshly attributes. That it doesn't now there may be, you know, a thing here and a thing there and a struggle here and a struggle there, but it's not the definition of their life. They're not a part of factions and divisions and envying and jealousy. It doesn't dominate their life. They're not all about that. He says, so if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Again, I encouraged a couple people with these verses recently, and it's our charge today. Verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So, look, you can't live like the world lives. They're doing that because their heart is still darkened and hard. They've become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn to follow Christ. It's not how you learn Christ himself. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Here's what, you were, here's what you learned if you truly heard about Jesus and how to follow Jesus and what it was to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. Here's what you learned. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of your, your life, the way you used to live, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And you learned to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, that's created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor because we're members, we're body parts put together as one, one of another. So, with that being the truth, you're going to get emotional. There's going to be things that frustrate you and even get you angry, but don't sin in that anger. Don't talk about someone. Don't treat someone ugly. Don't try to lock them up, stone them, any of those things. Don't act in your anger. Be, you can be angry, just don't sin in the anger. And don't let the sun go down in your anger. That way you don't give any opportunity to the devil. And let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk what that means is no destructive talk come out of your mouths. But as a child of God who's been renewed in the spirit of mind, who, who's put off the former deeds, who no longer lives like those people in the world, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only words that are good for building up, that's fitting for the occasion, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And all of this, with all of this, let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger and clamor, fighting and slander, gossip, tearing people down behind their back, let all of it be put away from you, along with malice, that's anger with the intent to, to do something. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, in the same way that God forgave you in Christ. Two groups. And I'll close. Let's make sure we aren't guilty like the misdirected zealots. Let's make sure we aren't guilty 
like the Roman commander of the cohort with a misunderstanding and the lacking of facts. Let's make sure as the people of God and as a church, we're fostering love and unity. Again, it says this in Ephesians 4, 3, being diligent. That means giving every effort, every effort you have as a person, giving every effort as a child of God to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity, together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, like Aaron's coming down uh, upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. In 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. This morning, I want to encourage you, let's make sure that our words are pleasing to the Lord and that pleasing words come from a right heart because that's what Jesus said to those religious zealots that were trying to, you know, crucify him and trap him. It's the same line of people that were doing this to Paul. He said, brood of vipers, how, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart and the mouth speaks. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you know how you should respond to each person. And I'm not going to read James chapter 3. Many of you know what it says. It says the tongue is an unruly evil. It's full of deadly poison. It's set on fire of hell. There's, there's no one can tame it. The person who can tame it is the perfect person. He says that, that with it we, we, we bless, uh, you know, uh, bless God and, and we curse men. And he says, you know, out of the same mouth comes sweet water and bitter. And he says, my brothers, these things should not be. Look, you can't, you can't come into this place and lift your voice to God and, and praise and then get in that car and tear down your spouse or your kids. You, you, can't, you can't come into this place and, and lift your praise to God and, and, and then get into a small group and, and talk about somebody else in the church in a negative way. Or blast somebody. You can, he says. Ask yourself this question. Am I giving my very best effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit? Ask yourself that question. It, or are you just existing in the church? Do you just kind of just exist in the church? Or are you giving your very best effort to preserve the unity that only exists with the Spirit of God? And then secondly, am I doing everything I do in and out of the church in love? Why do you do what you do? Why are you here this morning? Why are you going to invite somebody to church? Why are you going to tell them about Jesus? Why are you going to be a witness? Why are you going to let the words out of your mouth be grace, seasoned with salt, building people up, not tearing people down? Listen, everything we do should be motivated in love. That's our call and that's our charge. And this morning, I want to encourage you, let's, let's strive after these things. Man, we need it now more than ever. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be unified and power, empowered in that unity, because that's where, that's where it's found. That's where the power is found, in the unity. But it's got to be because we love the Lord and we love each other. That's what's going to make a difference. That's how things change. Our why has got to be love. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do in our lives, Lord. Thank you again for this morning and the challenge that you've given to me, Lord. Again, we've all been guilty of assuming things. We've all been guilty of being misunderstood and misunderstanding people. Lord, we've all been guilty of, of miscommunicating and, 
or damaging unity. Sometimes it's seen in our homes. Sometimes it's seen in, in, our, in our jobs. Sometimes it's seen in the church. May God forgive us when that happens. Help us not be like these religious zealots who are off, who were tearing down the Apostle Paul based on misdirected passion. They were assuming things. And help us not be like this Roman commander who was misunderstanding, didn't even know who Paul was and was about to send him to prison and probably to death based off a misunderstanding. Lord, help us be your church. Help us be your people, walking in your spirit, unified in your spirit so that we can be effective in this world. We look around at the news, the headlines, we read everything that's going on and we get frustrated, we get brokenhearted, we, we, we don't know what to do, sometimes we lash out. But God, help us understand the only thing that's going to change this world you gave it to us already. It's the gospel. And we've been entrusted to share it with the world. And I pray that we would be passionate about that because we're passionate about you. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that has never entered into that relationship because maybe they didn't know how much you loved them. Maybe they don't realize that you sent your son to die on a cross for their sins. He paid the price for their sins on the cross and he was put in a grave and three days later he rose again and he offers life to all who re repent and believe in him alone. Maybe there's somebody that's going off a, a hope that they're going to be good enough one day to make it to heaven. I, I pray they would understand you've said that there's none righteous, no, not one. That, there is, that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody can be good enough. And that's why you died in our place. Again, if there's somebody here, or maybe even watching online, that has never surrendered their life, Trusting you, I pray they would do that before today, today's over. I pray that they would do that before they leave this place. And we'll praise you for it, Lord. Help us respond rightly now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he plays, I want to encourage you to come.